Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. It's just a season, and it will all be well. Verse number 14 of Ezekiel 3, the Bible says, So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to them of the captivity of Tel Abib, that dwelt by the river of Chabar, and I sat where they sat, and remain there astonished among them seven days. Amen. This morning I want to, I'm going to preach. I know I got this on, but I thought I was going to help Bishop sing. But I want to preach this morning this. He sat where we sat. He sat where we sat. Can we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? Father, I come to you right now. I pray, oh God, in this place, God, that your spirit, the Lord God, would just come in here. God, that you would anoint, Lord, the aspect, Lord, of this service. Your word is already anointed, but my mind and my lips help me, Lord, by your spirit to be able to convey, God, what you once said, what you want, Lord Jesus, done in this house. Every individual that is here, you have ordained them, Lord, to be, God, for a reason and a purpose, Lord. And I pray, God, that your word can find where we are. Your word can find, Lord Jesus, where we are. God, in life right now, strengthen, minister, bring encouragement, I pray, Jesus. God, empower us today, God, by the Spirit of the Lord, the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. He sat where we sat. A farmer had some puppies he needed to sell painted a sign advertising the four pups and said about nailing it to a post on the edge of his yard. And as he was driving the last nail into the post, he felt a tug on his overalls. He looked down into the eyes of a little boy. Mister said, he said, I want to buy one of your puppies. Well, said the farmer, he said, as he rubbed the sweat off the back of his neck, these puppies come from a fine parents and cost a good deal of money. The boy dropped his head for a moment, then reaching deep into his pocket, he pulled out a handful of change and held it up to the farmer. I've got 39 cents. Is that enough to take a look, he said. Sure, said the farmer. And with that, he let out a whistle. He said, here, Dolly. And here came from the doghouse down the ramp, ran Dolly, followed by four little balls of fur. The little boy pressed his face against the chain link fence. His eyes danced with delight. As the dogs made their way to the fence, the little boy noticed something else stirring inside the doghouse. Slowly another little ball appeared, this one noticeably smaller than all the rest. Down the ramp it slid. Then in a somewhat awkward manner, the little pup began hobbling toward the others, doing the best that it could to catch up. I want that one, the boy said, pointing to the runt. The farmer knelt down at the boy's side and said, Son, you don't want that puppy. He will never be able to run and play with you like the other dogs would be able to play and run with you. With that, the little boy stepped back from the fence, reached down and began to pull up one leg of his trousers. And in doing so, he revealed a steel brace running down both sides of his leg, attaching itself to a specially made shoe. 
Looking back up at the farmer, he said, you see, sir, he said, I don't run too well myself. He said, and he will need someone who understands. I dare to say this morning that we have all met those times in our life when we needed somebody to understand. Or perhaps we needed somebody to understand a little bit more than what they had. We've welcomed sometimes people whenever they have given us their sympathy and been thankful for it, but realized that there was an element of them that could only go too f- so far. They couldn't go the distance that you really needed them to go. What we really needed was somebody to understand how we felt or understand what we were going through at that very moment. We needed somebody that had been where we had been, that had been there too. We have all experienced those moments whenever we perhaps looked at another person and their needs and it mirrored a need that we had had in our own life, maybe not too far in the distant past. According to whatever the dilemma may have been, we may have found ourselves looking at what they were going through and cringing just remembering when we went through the same thing. Sign maybe even with a little bit of exasperation because we understood clearly how they felt and where they were. Holding back tears maybe all over again because those feelings were welling up inside of us when we had met that same predicament. We had sat, if you will, in certain terms where they sat. And whenever you share with somebody a likeness or a circumstance or a situation that they are going through that you had gone through as well, There's a sort of brotherhood that forms between you and that other person. There's a somewhat of a society that is formed among those who face similar circumstances, similar difficulties, the same losses, if you will. Whenever you come among each other, you don't even have to speak any words because there's just something of a known in the silence that each of you understand where the other has been. You have walked in similar shoes. These groups form. You have a group, if you will, people that have had in their lifetime perhaps cancer. There is just a society among them because they understand without a word being spoken some of the feelings and the heartaches and the frustration and the therapies and stuff that you have had to go through you just bring a group of parents together that maybe have lost a child in their life and they can sit down with one another and there is just a feeling of acceptance and there's a feeling of agreement among them because each one of them can just resonate with the other's loss and they know where they have been because they've sat where they have sat men that have lost jobs because of a company downsizing they they form a brotherhood among themselves they they understand what it's like to put in all those years of service just because now by downsizing they are looking for another job because they have sat where they sat and so there's a little batting of the eye if you will a little nodding of the head to one another amen because each of them in certain terms they could roll up their trousers and pull back their sleeve and unveil amen something all too familiar to the other person amen there two strangers can meet and interact like lifelong friends because they found understanding and comfort and they sat where one another have sat Someone say amen. 
Solomon, even in the Proverbs, had admonished, amen, to whom he was writing to, which is us, anybody that would read it and told us to pursue wisdom. He told us to get it. He told us not to forsake it. He told us in doing so that wisdom would preserve us. He said, love it and it'll keep you. He said, exalt it and it'll promote you. He said, embrace it and it'll bring you honor. He said, wisdom would adorn himself with an ornament of grace and a crown of glory. But in the same breath that he said, get wisdom, he said, get understanding, forget it not. Amen. As his father David, a former king, was now talking to this presiding king, his son Solomon. He said, get wisdom, for it's the principal thing. But my son, amen, with all of your getting and with all of your pursuits, you get understanding. What are you saying, David, to your son Solomon? I'm saying as a king, and he now as a king that there's going to be some times and there's going to be some situations that's going to demand him as a king to relate to the people, to relate to where they are, to relate to the hardship and what they are going through and what they are facing. I understand as a king that a good leader sometimes has to set where the people are sitting. You got to weep with those that weep and you got to rejoice with those that rejoice. Amen. Someone say amen. Joshua 8 and verse number 9. We read a scripture here. Joshua is a great leader. He's a great leader. He and his men are now in this place attempting for the second time to take a city by the name of Ai. They had failed miserably before because of sin being in the camp. They failed miserably before, but now they are going for their second attempt. And Joshua is setting up an ambush between Bethel and Ai. He's setting up an ambush there. He stations the people, his soldiers, where they need to be. And so here they are. It is on the eve, if you will, of an ambush of war. They are on the eve of going against a city that they failed going against before. And no doubt some of the soldiers are cowering in the trenches. Some of the, the soldiers are a little bit afraid, a little bit intimidated, amen, dancing in their minds, concerning we're going against the enemy that we failed against before. And while they're there with all their intimidation and their fear going into battle the next morn, the Bible states this concerning Joshua. He didn't just put them in the trenches and set up the ambush and say, boys, we'll see you tomorrow. I'm going home to go sleep in my posh bed. No, the Bible says plainly, but Joshua lodged, amen, that night among the people. What did he do? He says, I'm going to sit where you're sitting. I know you got some fear right now. I know intimidation is facing you. And I see it's a necessary action right now as a leader that I'm not going to leave you in the trenches tonight. I'm going to come and sit where you sit and feel what you feel and experience what you are experiencing. He said, I'm going to get down on your level. I'm going to get where you're living. i got to experience what you're going through right now in the eve of this battle of war. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. Perhaps one of the grand treasures of the Good Samaritan story of Luke 10 is that while the priest saw him that fell among thieves and passed by on the other side, and the Levite came and looked and passed on the other side, the Samaritan, the Bible says, came to where he was and had compassion. 
What was he doing? He was going to sit where he had sat. And our scripture reading today, Ezekiel, in the chapters leading up to chapter number three, has just experienced the presence of God in a very special way. He's been caught up in a vision. He has witnessed a whirlwind with four creatures that have come out of it. He has experienced God in a very special way. Ezekiel is talking about faces and wings and fire and lightning and eyes and wheels and about a throne that was up above all of this. It was quite a thing I would survey that he witnessed a very special presence of the Lord. And the voice of the Lord spoke to him from that vision and from that presence. He says, Ezekiel, I'm going to send you to the captives in Babylon. I'm going to send you to speak to them. I'm going to send you to a group of people that have been rebellious. I'm going to send you to a group of people that are where they are right now because of their sin. And I'm going to give you words of lamentation. I'm going to give you words, if you will, of mourning. I'm going to give you words of woe that you must speak to them. These are stiff-necked people. They're hard-headed people, but I'm going to make your head hard against theirs. I'm going to make the words in your mouth strong against theirs. And here's, here's Ezekiel. Man, he's just pumped about being able to be used by the presence of the Lord. He is, if you will, understanding these people were, were, were sinning and, and were rebellious, and they needed a word from the Lord, a word that it was going to be of judgment that we see later in Scripture. He's pumped about his quest for the Lord and God, and Scripture tells us that every Evidently, Ezekiel's a little bit livid. Amen. He's a little bit livid because of the way that these people have acted to the Lord God of heaven. And the Bible says in verse number 14 that Ezekiel went in bitterness and Ezekiel went in the heat of his spirit. He's ready to do this. He's ready to deliver the word of the Lord to these people that have been rebellious, to these people that have been sinning. Evidently, evidently he was ready just to let it all go and let them in the fire of his spirit let them know where they are but the Bible says listen to me right now when he got to tell Abib and he seen the captives that were sitting by the river Shabar the Bible says that Ezekiel before he said anything he sat down where they sat one interpretation of scripture says this that he said I saw them sitting there and I sat there also Someone say amen. He was furious. He was livid. He was bitter. He was in the heat of his spirit with a message of woe, with a message of lamentation. Amen. He just left a unique vision with the presence of the Lord, the power of God. But where he got where the people sat, he sat down. And the Bible says that Ezekiel, that was livid in spirit, was astonished among them seven days. Someone say amen. It is quite capable, Sister Craig, that whether he arrived, he could have flung that message of lamentation. He could have flung that message of woe. He could have flung all of that upon those people just as soon as he arrived. But he didn't do that. What he did before he ever gave the message is that he sat down where they were sitting. Mm-hmm. He sat down by the river in the captivity where they were sitting. And the Bible said after he sat down, the things evidently that he heard, the things that he 
felt, the things that he's seen astonished him. He's about ready to come with the sword, but something comes over him. He's astonished whenever he gets down to where they're living. He's astonished when he sits down to where they are sitting. Someone say amen. I don't know, I might have to switch here. You all right? I'm going to tear a cord. And so he sat down, take this bishop, amen, where they were sitting. What did he hear as he was there? What did he see as he was there? Amen, I can't but believe today that maybe some of the words that he heard, some of the things that he was astonished by was the very words that David penned in Psalms 137, and they'll be before you, but just let me read through them. Here is Ezekiel. He's livid. He's hard-spirited. He's strong-spirited. He's got a message from the Lord for these rebellious, for these sinners but I think what he heard was some of the things that David penned at Psalms 137 by the rivers of Babylon there we sat down yea we wept when we remembered Zion we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof for there they that carried us away captive required of us a song and they that wasted us required of us mirth saying sing us one of the songs of Zion how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land. I forget thee. I forget thee, O Jerusalem. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem who said, raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. He's going to give a message of judgment and he did. But I believe the attitude in which now Ezekiel is going to approach the people is different than what he was going to approach the people because he sat where they sat and he realized there were some people that were sitting there amen that may not have been rebellious that may not have been sinful but because they were numbered among the Israelites they too were suffering because of somebody else's calamities I believe he realized there were some there that were already dealing amen that they had done wrong already realizing that if they could change it they would change it in a moment they just longed for Jerusalem again just longed for the fields just longed for the temple there were some that were there when we get our moment we're going to take vengeance upon Babylon but Ezekiel would have never known that had he not sat where they sat and heard their words and heard their supplication and heard their plea he goes in bitterness he goes in the heat of his spirit but seven days he's sitting there astonished by what he sees and what he hears and in those seven days he's garnering an understanding he's garnering if you will an empathy for these captives that's been taken from their land and put in a desolate place amen for their sin did Ezekiel deliver the message yes but again I believe the spirit that he delivered in after those seven days of sitting where they sat was quite contrary to what it would have been delivered in. You get my, you're doing everything for me. Can you get your hanky, my hanky out of my right pocket? Someone say amen.
I find myself sometimes as a preacher, maybe just sometimes as a saint, that we charge harshly those three that are denoted as Job's friends for their mistakes because they tried to explain why the things that happened to Job, why they happened, and tried to tell Job what he needed to do to change it. But please, we judge them very harshly for that. We call them the comfortless friends. But I submit to you today that that was not their original intent. Scripture plainly says in Job 2.11 that these three friends made an appointment together to come to mourn with him, Job, and to comfort him. The original intent of these three were to visit the place where Job was. They went to him. He didn't come to them. They went to him. They went to visit where he was and to mingle, in essence, their tears with his tears. The Bible says they came from their homes. If you look at some of the places that they lived, some of them came great distances from their homes. And notice, they did not subject themselves to any comforts that Job was without. Whenever they came, they didn't get them the nearest end to stay in while Job remained out there on the ash heap. No, these three friends came great distances and they sat down in the same ash heap that Job was sitting down in. They sat where he sat. Job had made that ash heap his dwelling because he was scraping off the boils off of his body with a potsherd, the Bible says. And whenever they came to him, that's where they found him. And his life and even his countenance, amen, and his figure was in so much disarray. They could not even believe that that was Job. They understood there was a great measure of sorrow and grief that this man is going through and so we're going to sit down where he's sitting in this ash heap amen Job even said in his book that he had some kinsfolk that had left him he said some of my familiar friends eluded me he said my own maids and my servants and even my wife thought me to be strange but sitting there in that ash heap in his sorrow in his grief in his moment of adversity are these three friends. And the Bible comes to mind in Proverbs 18.24 that a man that has friends must shew himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. If I may pick up with Philippians 2.6 speaking of the friend that sticketh closer than a brother who being in the form of God Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. What are you saying this morning, Brother McGee? I'm saying from the perspective of heaven, amen, God seen the calamity of humanity. He seen us in our ash heap. He seen us sitting by our river of Chabar, amen, with our iniquity, with our woe, with our possessions and financial struggles with our health issues and God came down in the likeness of man as Jesus Christ in order to sit where you are sitting. Some would say man. 
He sat down where we were contemplating our sin. He sat down where we were contemplating our rebellion. He sat down where we were struggling, amen, with the regrets of our wrongs and our bad choices and bad decisions. God came down and sat where we sat. He sat where we sat when we were on the verge of a battle the next day that we had already failed at before. Someone say amen. With our fear, with our, our intimidation and our faith that was low, that was wondering what was going to take place on the morrow. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone tonight. I'm going to come down and I'm going to sit where you are sitting. Amen. The one that's remorseful because of the possessions lost and the health issues that's come upon them and inflicted them. He says, I'm going to sit where they sat. Amen. Yet the scripture says he, Christ Jesus, never knew sin. He was tempted in all ways like we are yet without sin. And that is true. But ladies and gentlemen, he felt the weight of sin. He felt the destructiveness of sin as he hung upon that cross. He may have never knew sin, but he felt the gruesome grossness of the darkness that sin provided. He sat where you and I sat. He was tested in the wilderness. He wept at Lazarus's grave. He was wearied and thirsty at John's or Jacob's well. He was a man of sorrows and he knew grief because he sat where we all have sat. And yet Ephesians 2, 4, speaking of this great idea and concept says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, Woo, there we are by the river of Chabar. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What happened was this. God seeing where we were, he came down and sat where we sat. Listen to me now. So that he could seat us where he sits. He came down and sat where we sat so he could seat us where he sits. He came down, but he raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places. How did you do that, God? Because I got down on your level. I got down in your dilemma. I got down in your trouble. I got down in your heartache for the purpose of raising you up and sitting you where my glory, where my abundance, where my power, where my majesty is. I sat where you sit so I can seat you where I sit. Someone say glory. Amen. In that I'm reminded a man by the name of Mephibosheth <clears throat> who sustained his primary hurt of being lame in both feet sustained that because 
of being a fugitive. Him being just a boy of five years old, his nurse carries him. They, as fugitives, run because they hear that Saul and Jonathan, his relation, has been killed. And the custom of that day was that whenever the king gets killed, you go on and kill every descendant of the king. Because we don't want anybody to rise to the throne that's of his heritage. We're going to eradicate all the possibility of the rule. And so that nurse flees. And she and Mephibosheth, in essence, become fugitives. But in the moment of being fugitives, he's dropped and he sustains a hurt. He's laying down both of his feet. That's going to follow him for the rest of his days. And whenever Mephibosheth and that nurse leave, we read in Scripture that Mephibosheth, his life, who and what he was, was all but forgotten after they fled that moment. But King David could relate to Mephibosheth because David had also sustained some woundings during his years of being a fugitive. He had moments in the cave of Dulam and other strategic places where he had felt all but forgotten after that he had fled. That's the reason why when you see him as king, one of the reasons that he comes forth and he is no doubtfully identifying with Mephibosheth because he had sat where that boy had sat. That he asked the question, is there any other household of Saul that I can yet show kindness to? And here's Iba brings Mephibosheth, the one who was a fugitive, the one that got wounded as a fugitive, and the one that was all but forgotten. David says, I've been there, Mephibosheth. He can look in that boy's eyes with tears, feeling everything that he felt when he was a fugitive, and say, I understand where you've been. I understand what you're going through. He said, but listen, today you're going to eat at my table. You're going to sit at the king's table. You're going to eat as one of the king's sons. I've been a fugitive in my life like you've been a fugitive in yours. I've sustained some woundings like you've sustained yours. He says, but I sat where you sat so that today I can seat you, Mephibosheth, where I sit, the king's table. Someone say amen. Can we just raise our hands right now to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. God, for sitting where we sat. Thank you, Lord, for coming to us in our rebellion. Coming to us in our sin. Coming to us in our fear and our unbelief and doubt. God and sitting, God damn, where we have sat. Oh, yes, God. 
You've heard me preach it before sometimes. What we need in those moments is not somebody, as Job's friends later did, correct him, tell him how you got there and how you need to get out there. That's not what we need sometimes. We just need someone that says, I understand. We don't even have to speak any words. Just get down on the ash sheep where I'm at. You don't have to say anything. Just walk alongside me just the extra mile, if you will. Don't have to say anything at all. Just sit here. Just sit here. Feel what I'm feeling. Amen. Experience the pain that I'm experiencing. If you will, be an intercessor. Be laden with the burden that I'm carrying right now. Just sit here where I am sitting. The Bible says in Matthew 26 and verse 55. Look at the scripture. I won't hold you much longer. The emphasis is on much. Matthew 26 verse 55. In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes. Are ye come out against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? This is the setting of being in the garden. He's, he's finished praying. There's coming a group of people to apprehend him, to take him now to that trial. He says, you come out against me as a thief with swords and staves to take me. Now, I want you to notice this last phrase because I'm going I'm to kind of weasel my way in this a little bit. He says, I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid no hold on me so Jesus makes this statement to these multitudes that are coming to apprehend him and he then he told them in essence he says daily everybody say daily he says daily I sat where you sat He says, daily I sat where you sat, but no one laid a hold of me then. I know at this particular moment in Matthew 26 that they are there, Sister Craig, desiring to lay a hold of him in this moment in a malicious manner, in a malicious intent. But I can't get away from the idea, Bishop, that Jesus' words in that last phrase rise to a level that's beyond the very present moment. I believe there's a couple of views you can take from that last phrase that he was speaking to those that could be illustrated right here. I believe you could look at it through the eyes of him telling them, no one laid a hold on me with vengeance when I was in the temple right there among you. No one took advantage of that then. But I could also see him telling those boys that were about ready to grab a hold of him. He's saying to them, hey, I've been where you've been. I've sat where you sat. And nobody took advantage of my presence when I sat where you were sitting. I sat with you daily. Hey, Amen. You didn't come to me but I sat where you were I went to where you was at and nobody ever reached out to me then I'm 
here to tell somebody sitting in the sound of my voice today you may be in a state of sin in a state of rebellion you might be in financial upheaval as Job was losing everything and maybe health issues are just bombarding your body or you're on the night before of another battle that's about ready to take place let me tell you he has come and sat down right where you're at he's come and sat down right in the middle of your issue but I implore you today you need to reach out and get a hold of him you need to reach out and lay a hand on him you need to take advantage and afford yourself amen of his presence concerning Job's friends the Bible says in Job 2.13 that none of those friends spake a word unto Job listen to me because among the Jews it is a point of decorum they say in one did it dictated by fine and true feeling not to speak to a person in deep affliction until he gives a clue of desire to be comforted in other words it was the Jewish way that as long as Job in his affliction kept silent that the comforters around him would stay silent. Folks, God is here in the temple this morning. God has come down to sit where we are sitting. He's come down to grant some understanding to you and I to our lives and where we presently may be, whatever it may be that we're dealing with. But he's not going to open his mouth until you open yours. He's not going to say a word. He's not going to intrude until you open yours. But if you give some type of indication, I could use some help here. I could use some comfort here. I could use some deliverance here. Watch out. He's been sitting there all along. He's going to move on your behalf and in your favor because he sits where you sit so he can seat you where he sits. words go from his mouth I was with them daily but they did not take hold of me let this morning change that verbiage let this morning change that phrase let it be quite on the contrary every day I was with him they called out to me every day I was with him and sat there in their dilemma where they were they made motion to me that I could use a little assistance here a little understanding a little bit of empathy here if you'll stand with me this morning Contrary to the thought of some of us sometimes because I know the enemy kind of scars us and he blinds our eyes to this. But every time we come into this place, God's here. And I'm asking you this morning, will you please just lay hold of him? Will somebody just make some move or some gesture this morning and just make some type of indication or clue that God... I'd like to be comforted today. Been dealing with this. Been wrestling with this. Got fear and uncertainty. Would you just, would you just open your mouth?
God, I know you're there. But would you speak something today? I know you're going to be silent as long as I'm silent. But God, would you just say something today? Oh, indicate to him that you're longing for his interaction. If you will, today, he stepped down in the likeness of that little boy and he's rolled up his trousers to show you the nail prints in his feet. He's pushed back his sleeves this morning to show you the scars that are in his hands. You say you need someone that understands. He's sitting where you sit this morning. He's sitting where you sit this morning. He sat where you sat so he could seat you where he sits. These altars are open today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.